0: Welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall. This podcast is designed to bring real and raw conversations about spirituality into the forefront of living our yoga off the mat and in our businesses. Topics covered include insights into the yoga industry, teaching, wellness, Ayurveda, meditation, and entrepreneurship. Basically, all the topics we're interested in. Thanks for joining me. Now, tune in and turn it up. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall. Thank you guys for tuning in. And before we get into this episode, I would love to just share a little bit about some of the upcoming events from the Atman Yoga School. So this month in March, um, this weekend, in fact, this drops on a Thursday, the next Friday, or the, the next day, that Friday. I'm teaching a three-day advanced vinyasa yoga teacher training in Oslo, which I'm super thrilled about, and I'll be offering the same training in Trondheim in the fall. So if you miss it, maybe you want to join in then. Also later this month, I'll be up in Buda in northern Norway teaching a weekend workshop series, which is going to be awesome. I haven't been to Buddha in many years, and it's going to be fun to be back in that community with all those Dedicated yogis. Uh let's see. We have um in May a lot of things coming up. I'll launch my book May 8th, and then we have um lots of workshops. I'll be teaching in Oslo at different studios: Joy Yoga, uh Key Yoga, uh maybe Lila Yoga, we'll see. And then I'm doing a one-day uh, yoga nidra training at Aya Yoga in Oslo. So that's also in May. And stay tuned. I haven't announced any details yet, but I am going to be doing a yoga weekend in hempsadal in May as well. So um, that's going to be super awesome. Ugh, yes, at a beautiful resort up here. So yeah, lots of spa, lots of yoga, lots of community. And Then, yeah, summer, of course, take a break, and then we're back at it in August. Registration is open for our Norwegian 200-hour vinyasa and Ayurveda yoga teacher training. That's in Oslo, so that's August to December, and that's all in Norwegian. So if you are interested in doing our 200-hour training but have wanted to do it in Norwegian, then this is your chance. And yeah, I think that's a lot of what's coming up. There's some other things in the works, but those are the ones that I have announced and that are on my website. So if any of that calls to you and you'd love to join in the Otman community, please do. Send me an email at hello at OtmanYogaschool.com. And for the US listeners, I'm so thrilled. We are offering our first licensed yoga teacher training in Idaho. So it starts in October in Driggs. There's a beautiful new studio there. It's amazing. One of my best friends runs it uh, called The Source. And so I will be in Idaho teaching at a yoga festival there in September and then running a three-day advanced vinyasa yoga teacher training. And then in October, our 200-hour training starts. So it's going to be great. I can't wait to be back in the U.S. teaching again, leading trainings there. I'm not leading the 200-hour. Uh, that's the owner of The Source, C. Marie Billadou. So again, all the info's on, well, I guess that information's not on my website, but you can find it if you want to. Or send me an email. Okay, that's enough. Let's get into today's episode, which is all about the role that social media and social media influencers have played in the yoga industry. And I just come back to the question of, has social media ruined yoga? And I think a lot of people have different opinions about the answer to this question. And My short answer is yes, I do think social media has greatly impacted the yoga industry in a negative way, and I do see the benefits to it, of course. So I'm going to talk about the pros and the cons and kind of back up my opinion just about what I've seen happen in my 15 plus years in the yoga industry and how things have changed so dramatically from when I started practicing and teaching yoga and, and kind of like, I guess what my takeaway would be, um, how do we move forward? Because of course we know social media is here to stay. Nothing is going to change with that. So it's not a question of can we get rid of social media? Can we change how we get information about yoga, but it's more about can we change our perception? Can we change our choice about how we consume media and how we allow that to shift our decision-making skills when it comes to our teachers, when it comes to our mats and our clothes and how we practice and what style of yoga we practice. So we'll just get into it. I was thinking back about how, like, before social media, way before social media, how were we marketed to? How were we sold goods and information? And a lot of it from celebrity was just a few select people. So I'm a kid of the 90s, and I remember when I was growing up, there were, like, a couple of people who were just, like, it. They had made it. I'm talking about Michael Jordan, Cindy Crawford, Scottie Pippen, like there were some other like really high profile celebrity athletes, models, actors, and actresses. And they were the ones who were selling us watches and cars and Pepsi and the like really big brand name things. And that definitely influenced us as consumers to see people that we idolized or liked selling us something. And then... It kind of started shifting and it became more localized. And this is kind of where this idea of using celebrity and influence kind of came into the yoga community. And I remember when I started, you know, and I'm still like a new teacher because, you know, there's people who've been practicing yoga for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I've had my aunt on this podcast a few seasons ago. She is. 80-plus years old, and she's been a yoga teacher for a good portion of her life. Um, So speaking of somebody who's only been teaching for 15 years, um, you know, my experience was when I came into yoga, unless you lived in LA or New York, yoga was still, like, pretty, like, counterculture. Like, it still wasn't mainstream like it is today. And a lot of the yoga shalas were kind of run down or they were in makeshift places. And, you know, maybe there were a few prayer flags somewhere, but it was very like minimal. Like you were there to practice, you were there to learn, and it was a discipline. And it was very serious in a lot of ways how you approached the study of yoga as a student. And, you know, that was really ingrained into me where as I was a student and I was like, oh, I just, I was absorbing everything. I went to every workshop I could. I went to every class I could. I was traveling all over the city. Like it didn't matter what style. It didn't matter what lineage. I just wanted to learn and to be part of it. And I started taking teacher trainings. And when I was taking these trainings, I never had the intention of teaching. It was always just that I wanted to learn more. And part of the reason, it's kind of a two-part reason why I never thought I would actually teach yoga was because I didn't think I would ever be good enough to be an actual teacher of yoga because I held my teachers in such high regard and I respected them so much and they were so dedicated to the practice and they they lived it and they breathed it. And so the first reason was respect. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be as, have enough knowledge and time as a student to be an authority on teaching yoga. And then the second reason was just more personal and my personality where I'm a bit of an overachiever in some regards where I really like, I want to be excellent before I even throw my hat in the ring. Like I don't want to learn on the job. I want to already know the job before I get the job. And and it's funny, that shifted. It was really after my third teacher training that I was like, oh, OK, cool. You know what? I actually love to teach, and I'm pretty good at it. So I think I'm going to keep going down this path. And so that was kind of my story with like when I came to yoga, this deep reverence for the practice. And I loved my local teachers so much and thought they were so amazing, just so gifted. And it was so inspiring to be around them. So, when the this like marketing kind of really came collided with the yoga world, um, the first part that I remember really, of course, you know, people were selling yoga stuff before this, but in the aughts and early 2010s, it was really all about Lululemon and their marketing program to bring ambassadors on to use their products, and promote their products. And I still think this was absolutely genius and brilliant, whoever came up with it. And the Lululemon Ambassador Program is still going today. But they were really the first ones to be like, oh, let's tap into, instead of like having some huge global superstar, let's tap into the local celebrities, into the teachers who are packing classes and who are really – you know, prominent in the local communities. And so Lululemon kicked it off. And after the yoga community saw the success that Lululemon was having, all the other yoga brands jumped on board and started creating ambassador programs. And we still were getting sold products and yoga stuff, accoutrement, um, through, you know, media, like, you know, Yoga Journal was the Bible that everybody was really paying attention to if you were a yoga student or yoga teacher. And so we would see what was being sold there, but we weren't being, there was no other way in which we were really being like shown which yoga pants to buy or which yoga mat or which yoga bolster or, you know, which yoga retreat to go on. And I don't have anything against the ambassador programs. I think, I think they did create a sense of community to some extent and I think it was making yoga more exciting to new students who are coming in and they're like, oh, cool. There's like, you know, there's, there's something around this. There's a buzz, there's a vibe. But at the end of the day, you know, it was still a marketing method in which to sell products. And so for me, that was always kind of the sticky point. Um, I was a Lululemon ambassador for three years. I was an ambassador with Manduka, a shoe company, uh, Anu, which is now part of Teva or Teva. I don't even know how you say that. And a couple other smaller brands. And it was, I always took it really seriously. Like, oh, okay, I'm in this partnership. I'm in this collaboration. Like, they're giving me something. I'm giving them something. But it really was about selling stuff. So I don't know. I'm of two minds about the ambassador programs. I like them. I think there was some benefit to them. But I also think, you know, Maybe I'm just jaded. I don't know. Maybe I'm jaded. Seeing through for what it actually was. So then, of course, we all know, then, you know, Facebook was already around at this point, but it wasn't really being used to sell things quite yet. It was still more just a social networking community. But when Instagram came in and I really remember like 2013 as the year that it was really like everybody was getting on Instagram and there was starting to be some some buzz around Instagram. And then in the next few years, things started getting really curated. We see the rise of social media influencers and the whole industry of influencing is created. Now, of course, there's influencer agencies. There's like a whole industry around this. And as a side note, I have kind of been reading some articles and hearing some podcasts where Some people are of the opinion that um, social media influencing might actually be like have reached its peak and maybe we're going to start to see it decline a little bit, which I think would be really interesting to see what would be coming next. Because for a brand, it makes a ton of sense if they can hire an influencer in their specific target demographic to really get to the customer's that they wanted to reach versus putting an ad, you know, a national ad campaign together where you're going to reach, yes, some of the people you want to, but you're also going to reach a lot of people who don't care about whatever it is you're selling. So as this influencer industry was being created and people were figuring out what was happening, things started to get more curated, more glossy and, We all know that everything we see on social media, especially these days, is it's the highlight reel, and it's so, so edited, and it's so fictionalized in many regards. Like, there was a really good documentary, I think it was on HBO, but I can't remember, and it was about the secret life of influencers. And they all portray this lifestyle that's really lavish, and they're making so much money, and they're traveling on private jets. And behind the scenes, actually, a lot of them are broke, and they're living with roommates, and they everything's just a facade. It's almost like a pretend world. And that's fine until the point where the consumer or the people following them believes it's reality. And they think, oh, if I use this skincare product, oh, if I buy those those leggings, oh, if I do X, Y, and Z, then my life will get better. I'll have more money. I'll have more fame. I'll have more adventures. Like, whatever it is, the fantasy that the influencers are selling – the person, Joe Schmo, sitting at home is like, oh, my life's a little ordinary. Like, this is exciting. And that's how influence works, where then you see something and you maybe you didn't even think you needed it, whatever the product is. But now all of a sudden, you have to have it. <laughs> Your life is unfulfilled without it because you've been sold the fantasy without seeing the reality. And that's where I start to get into the problem of yeah, I think social media. And influencing has ruined yoga because what we're seeing presented as yoga and who teaches yoga and who practices yoga online is very edited, curated, false in some regards. And, you know, yoga is a tradition that is from the heart and from the soul, and it's meant to make us feel better about ourselves and feel good in our bodies and bring balance into our mind, that equanimity the ability to ebb and flow through the challenges of our life with grace. And if we're only focused on the consumer goods and we're only focused on, oh, I have to look a certain way and I have to wear the right clothes and have the right mat and have the mala beads and have the singing bowls and everything that we see portrayed on social media, we get further and further away from the truth of yoga. And so for me, that's where the problem lies is – especially, I guess, because so many more people are coming into yoga. And I love that. And that's one of the pros from social media is that more people than ever are practicing yoga globally. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Like It's trendy to do yoga. Everybody does yoga. Everybody wants to be a yoga teacher. Well, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people want to become yoga teachers. And I do think that's great. I think a lot of people should take yoga teacher training because you learn really valuable skills for your life, but that's a side topic. Just coming back to this idea that I guess we don't know what questions to ask and we don't know what we don't know. So if there's all of these extra millions of people coming to yoga and they're getting a lot of their information about yoga and what a yoga lifestyle looks like from social media, it can be very confusing because all they're seeing are able-bodied young people doing crazy yoga asana postures, wearing fancy yoga clothes, going on these expensive yoga retreats to Bali and Thailand and Hawaii and Mexico. And it creates this exclusion from the practice rather than what's at the heart of the practice, which is inclusion. And so then people who are new to yoga who don't know what questions to ask, like, okay, did you? where did you do your training? Like, are you qualified to be talking about yoga as an authority? Then they just blindly believe whatever this person's selling or, or how they're portraying their yoga lifestyle online. And – it creates this really big divide of the haves and the have-nots. And it also, this is just my opinion that I think I've noticed, is then so much more of the yoga community is online. And this is both a pro and a con for social media and social media influencers. But the con side of it I see is that it's no longer about the local community, going to your local yoga studio, practicing with your favorite local local yoga teacher. Maybe you still do that a little bit, but the vibe and the the interest in being part of the local community, I think is a little less. And that's because many students are able to get their needs met through an online platform or an online community. And so... It's kind of like a hybrid, like 50-50. All right, yeah, I like to go in person and breathe and move with other students in the room and have the, the teacher actually see me and maybe give hands on assist. But also, I like the convenience of doing yoga at home or following my favorite people on Instagram and seeing what they're up to and what they're doing. And that hybrid kind of model is challenging because, again, it creates like disparity between how people are coming to the practice and that excitement that top us that passion for the practice that i started with when there was only one place to do yoga and there's only one place to get yoga information and that was at the studio you'd see the flyers taped up on the wall the teacher would make an announcement at the end of class like oh we have a guest teacher coming this weekend to teach workshops come check it out and you're like oh okay cool like that's what I want to do this weekend instead of being online and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and seeing handstand after handstand, after hollow back, after hollow back, after you know crazy asana pose and being like, hmm, well, it's really beautiful and inspirational, but it's like, I don't think my body does that. So it really is creating this divide. And that's that's one of the cons that I see. But then, of course, the pro to being online and having online community and, you know, a lot of teachers have created their own online platforms or apps that you can be part of. You can communicate with people all over the world. And that's fun. Like, I understand that. You can share information and talk with other people. And and that's cool. And you can do it from the convenience of your home. You can do it on your own time. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to... You know, pay as much, like online yoga is so much cheaper than having a membership at a studio, but I don't know. I guess maybe I'm more of a like purist at heart, but then as I flip back to some of the benefits of having yoga be so prominent in social media and in, you know, people influencing yoga it's become so mainstream and so trendy. And I find it really fun when we see you know, yoga teachers and, and yoga in TV shows and in movies. And I remember, I think it was 2015, there was a movie that came out called He's Just Not That Into You, and super cute movie, really enjoyed that. And one of the main characters played by Scarlett Johansson, was, she was a yoga teacher. And I was so thrilled to see like a yoga teacher portrayed in a mainstream movie. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I think that's cool that it's like people are seeing it in a lot of different ways. But there's the question of like, how is it being portrayed? And who is choosing how yoga is being portrayed in social media or in? TV or movies or advertisements or whatever. And that's where I think it gets really tricky. And, you know, the last five years, everything has really accelerated. And, of course, the pandemic, everything was online. That was this additional acceleration to how yoga was being portrayed and is still being portrayed. And, you know, everybody was home during the pandemic. And people were working out at home and doing online programs and influencers were still influencing about yoga and, and wellness from home and so people they had a more captive audience and I guess like so the last statistic I saw was from 2019 which was saying that um, the cost of the global yoga industry was about 40 billion dollars in 2019 so this is pre-pandemic but you know we can imagine that the numbers have gone up quite a bit in the last four years. And this includes everything from memberships, whether it's online or in a person at a studio, yoga clothes, yoga mats, yoga props, yoga jewelry, you know, singing bowls, tingshas, any yoga product, eye masks, and then yoga workshops, yoga trainings, yoga retreats, everything and anything associated with yoga has been commodified. And that's kind of hilarious because to practice yoga, you don't actually need anything. You can wear your ratty old sweats. You can practice on your carpet at home. You don't even need a mat. And somehow the consumeristic, capitalistic society has now made it into a commodity where they can't sell the practice of yoga itself. Like Nobody owns that. Nobody can sell that. But they can sell everything else around it. And it creates this this lifestyle or this allure of what a yoga lifestyle looks like and the shinier it gets the further away from the truth it gets and so that's like you know really difficult because we are programmed to be receptive to marketing and to these messages and i know speaking for myself like I have absolutely bought things that have been marketed to me on social media. And like, even with my eyes wide open, of like, oh my God, I'm being sold something, I still am like, oh, that looks cool. I wanna try that. So, none of us are immune, like, definitely not me. But it's this idea of like, can we become more aware of when we're being sold something related to a spiritual practice? And then question, is this something I truly need in order to be in my practice? Or can I be in my practice without this thing, those new yoga mat or yoga pants? Or, you know, there's all kinds of interesting energetic frequency equipment or mechanical things. I don't even know what to call them. Devices. Devices coming out now. I've started to see. One's called a Healy bioresonance device. I saw a super cool, like, um energy field clearing device for your home. And I, I was, oh, so, so curious about it, but I was not about to drop, I think it was like $8,000 or something to clear the energy field of your home of all the EMFs and like, you know, all the devices in your house and all the bad energy. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I really thought about it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm being sucked into this. Like, I, I fell for the advertisement and the marketing from an influencer, which made me believe I needed to have this thing in my life for my life to be better. And that's just not true. It's not. And so we need to become more aware of when we're being marketed to and what our reaction is to the things that were being, being sold. And it's difficult. It's really hard because these people are smart. And so if I'm thinking about like big marketing firms and advertising firms who, who have found out in the last 10 years, you know, longer than 10 years, but really 10 years, that all of a sudden yoga was hot. And there was a lot of untapped money in the yoga industry. And so all of a sudden, a lot of these big marketing firms started shifting their attention to wellness lifestyle and yoga and Zen and meditation. And as our lives have become more busy, more chaotic, more stressful due to technology, guess what? We're now being marketed to through technology. It's just like so crazy. It makes my head spin sometimes. And so then they started coming up with these big like really smart marketing plans which collided with the creation of the influencer marketing industry. And so then they started hiring these these influencers to come in, sell their products, and it's just become a big blurry mess because we we don't know necessarily when we're being sold something. And you know, I know the influencer market industry has become very strict in the last few years. Like you have to, you can't use certain filters and you have to say exactly when something's an ad. And I don't know, it's very complicated. And I think that's great. But what if there's somebody you respect and you follow online who's posting about a product that they like or something they use that's not an ad, but they're, but they sell other, but they market other things. It's, a question. You're like, okay, well, are they selling something to me now? Why are they sharing this? Is it because they really love it and use it? Or is it because there's like some secret kickback and they forgot to say it publicly? I don't know. I question that sometimes. But I do have some, a few influencers I follow, kind of mid-level yoga and wellness influencers that I do trust. But a lot of times I have seen, especially really big social media accounts where it's kind of like a catch-all. Maybe they're sort of in the wellness fitness space and they have so many followers that every brand in the fitness wellness space would like to work with them. And so they're like, oh, do you do yoga? Yeah, sure, I can do yoga. They're not trained in yoga. Maybe they're not really a student of yoga. Maybe they do yoga occasionally. And all of a sudden now they're selling or promoting Yoga pants and a yoga mat and yoga bands and yoga weights online, and all of their followers are like, "Oh, cool! Well, they they say they do yoga, so maybe this is what I need to do yoga." And it's not. There's no connection to the practice, and especially if this person is being paid to promote a tradition of wisdom that they have no background in, no no real experience in, and that's. One of the cons that I see with using social media influencing in the yoga world. And then we can swing the other way, where perhaps people who are working as yoga influencers are very dedicated and very entrenched in the practice. But usually, when we see that, they're really ingrained in the physical practice, in the asana, and they have insanely beautiful practices with their physical body. Of course, who doesn't like, I mean, sex sells, right? Who doesn't like to look at a beautiful body of probably a young person in a pretty outfit doing some cool poses? Like, of course, that's very aspirational. That maybe to some people is inspirational. To me, not so much. But um, it can be confusing to people looking because it's so far beyond what the average person is capable of doing. And so then they're like, oh, well, they're a real yogi okay, well, I want to buy whatever they're selling, what protein powder, what shake they're selling, like whatever supplement they're taking, like that sounds great. And it becomes very difficult to differentiate. So on one hand, we have social media influencers in yoga who have no real connection to the practice. They're just a hired gun, basically. They're like, sure, yeah, let's do it. If I get paid enough money, then I'll sell whatever you want me to sell. And then we have people who are true yoga teachers who are very advanced in the physical practice. And it's like, okay, where's the in-between? Well, this is what has fallen out with the rise of social media, the connection to local teachers. And as we've been recovering from the pandemic in the yoga industry, and the, the yoga industry itself is rebuilding globally, I've seen this talked about many times with people who have been teaching for a long time in their local communities and everybody is saying we have to support local. We have to come back to our roots. We have to be with the teachers in our community and the students in our community. And to me that's really the answer is you know we can have we can have a little of both worlds. We can be online, we can maybe even practice online. We can follow our social media influencers, the people that we like, but then we can also have like a tie into the local community and into what the practice of yoga used to look like. So I think this actually, you know, raises my number one issue with a lot of social media influencers and the role of social media in the yoga community. And this is so much is lost when we're not in person and only so much can be shown on Through social media and with yoga, which is a tradition that has philosophy and wisdom and self-inquiry and so much teaching to it besides just, oh, how to do a triangle pose or here's how to get a better hollow back. Like, we've lost so much of that. and. I guess just it's just my wish as a teacher and student of yoga that we could like bring back a stronger connection to that and bring back more of the the interest in the study of yoga rather than just the doing of yoga. And it also like, you know, anybody can be somebody online. It's hard to trust some of the information we get online because we don't know where it's coming from. And so many influencers like are able to just make up what they want their persona to be and pretend to be somebody that maybe they're not truly. And that's really problematic if they are trying to teach yoga, whether whether they're actually teaching it, like selling online classes through their platform or whatever, but or selling yoga, quote unquote, through their influencing of the products they're promoting. And it just is watering down what people understand yoga to be. And what the true meaning of yoga is, the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind and learning how to be present in all conditions of your life and all states of being in your life. And I think that that makes me really sad that that's being lost and that people, many people who are new to yoga don't even know that that's being lost. And so... It's like questioning where we get our information from, and who is your teacher, and where did you study, where did you do your trainings, and you know I've seen this. This is kind of a side note, but it it really bothers me. Um, I've seen it many times. People put it maybe in their bio in on Instagram, or they'll just. I've been told this, like in person and also in writing, um, when somebody says they're self taught yogi. And they learned online. Now, if you did an online, like, 200-hour teacher training, that's one thing. That's fine. But when somebody says they're a self-taught yoga teacher, that sends, like, huge red flags for me up because I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, Ultimately, yoga is a practice of going within and trusting your own inner wisdom and inner guru. But you need somebody to hold your hand along the way, especially in the beginning. You need somebody who has walked the path before you to show you where to go, to teach you the questions, to teach you the practice and the wisdom. And, you know, because on social media we can hide behind the screen, people can just pop up and be like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. And then they have really good content in terms of photos. And they maybe quote unquote, look the part, which is such crap anyway. It's like, who looks the part of a yogi or a yoga teacher? Everybody. And then they can start to sell stuff to people and people don't know that they're being not told the full truth. And so to me, that's really scary. And that's the thing that I think is most problematic with the rise of social media and the convergence of social media and the yoga community. I know also like this, this one bothers me a lot too. And when I see advertisements for yoga, whether it's directly something with yoga or they're just using yoga to sell some other product, um, and they show pictures of people doing really poor alignment. And I kind of, I've made a game out of it. I actually kind of hunt now when I see advertisements and they are using a yoga person to sell like the zen lifestyle. But an example of this that really kind of bothered me and is exactly what I've been talking about is um you know a big time fitness person um Jillian Michaels who some of you may have seen or know and and she's now selling some yoga programs and I don't know if she's a certified yoga teacher. I didn't do a deep enough dive to find out. But you know, I'm I'm in her target audience apparently for yoga. So one of her advertisements for her yoga program came across my Facebook and the advertisement is a picture of her doing a yoga pose with improper alignment, really poor alignment. And that sums up why it drives me crazy because here is a person with a really big platform making a ton of money and she's selling yoga when she's maybe, she's a fitness person. She's not really a yoga person, to my knowledge. I could be incorrect. Um, but she's she wants you to buy her yoga program and she's showing herself doing a yoga pose incorrectly. Now, if you didn't know that she was doing the pose incorrectly, I mean, she's making the general shape, you would be like, oh, cool. I'm into fitness. I like Jillian Michaels. I like all the stuff she sells. Then sure, I'll buy her yoga program. And you might not actually be taught yoga properly or correctly. And that's the issue of everything is how do we protect students? How do we keep ourselves safe from really shiny, beautiful, captivating marketing campaigns? And I don't know that I exactly have an answer for that because like I said, I get sucked in (laughs) sometimes too, but I think it's just sitting down and thinking for ourselves, if something is important to you. And if yoga is important to you in your life, just being a little bit more thoughtful about how you consume messaging online and how it makes you feel and how you notice your response. If you're like all of a sudden like, "Ooh, I need to get this thing and you start Googling where can I buy it and what, you know, all the details, stop yourself and be like, huh, this is interesting Is this something I really think I need? Or is this like I got caught up in the moment because the way it was visually depicted to me was really beautiful and and I want more beauty in my life. So just for yourself checking in and seeing what's your intention, you know, of course, that's the question on every episode of this podcast. What's your intention? And the last thing I want to say to wrap up this episode that I've been finding really interesting and really Hopeful and inspiring, I guess, is a term, maybe you're already familiar with it. I wasn't called de influencing. So, this is the pendulum swinging the other way. Like, instead of people really doing this curated facade of themselves on social media to sell things or influence us, people are now going the opposite. And they're like, you know what? I'm de influencing. I'm going to be real. I'm going to show what it's actually like. And, you know, my house is messy, My, I'm doing yoga and sweatpants, I'm doing, you know, like it's not all beautiful all the time. And I think that's, and I'm that term is being used across the board for all social media influencing and social media, not just yoga. And so I think that's really interesting. And I hope we see more of that. Like I want to see more of real life and real world and bloopers and mistakes and, yeah. So with that I guess I'll just sum up the pros of what I think the pros are for social media. Like, we can reach more people. We can share yoga. I think that's amazing. And I think that's really great to get people into yoga. We can inspire each other and inspire people who are doing yoga. And it can build a bigger community, reaching more people in that way. So I think that's really great for yoga. But the cons that I see with social media and, and whether social media has ruined the yoga community is we can't always trust our information that we're being given. Where did it come from? And it can also set impossible standards when we see people who have really amazing physical practices. Maybe they've even trained in acrobatics. Maybe they have uh, been dancers. Maybe they have um, you know hyperflexible joints. And that's hard if we don't know, like if we think that's what yoga is. And for them, that's what yoga is. But that's not necessarily what yoga is for us. And then I think, too, it it creates a division between the online world and the physical IRL world. And so we lose that connection to our local community. And we also lose the flavor and the intention of the teachings and the philosophy and the wisdom of yoga. So. You know, take away from this what you want to, what your own opinion is, and just considering how we play into everything that's happening in the world around us and how so much of the world around us is designed to sell us crap. Do we need it all? Probably not. So yeah, I I think that um, social media has damaged the yoga community um, for all of these reasons. And I, I don't want to leave on a negative or down note though, because I'm not negative necessarily. I'm just kind of like, I'm pragmatic, like, ah, okay, this is what's happened. And so I see my role as a yoga teacher and a yoga teacher trainer to really continue to promote the importance of community in person. And that feeling, that magic you get when you're in a shala or you're in a studio with a group of other people moving and breathing and working together. I think it's, for me anyways, it's a feeling unlike anything else in my life. And that's what inspires me. And that's why I don't really do much online because it's, for me, not quite as inspiring as being in person and feeling the energy of people and being able to read the body language and... Be in the moment, like a shared experience in the same place, in the same moment in time that is yoga in action, that's yoga as the way in which, you know, it's meant to be experienced. The sangha, our spiritual community, holding each other accountable, supporting one another, lifting each other up, cheering each other on. And so I think that's the angle I come at it from, It's like, That's what I want more of. And so that's what I'm going to continue to try and promote is community in person. So thank you all so much. And I hope you have a great day, a great week, great weekend, whatever, wherever you are listening to this podcast. That's it. That's all.